I believe we are now ready to go to God's Word. Are we excited to listen to the Word of God? So bow with me as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you, Lord God, for this wonderful morning together. Indeed, O oh Lord, you alone deserve our worship, our praises, our thanksgiving. And that in Jesus Christ, O oh Lord, alone we enter in your presence. And we thank you, Lord, that in your presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And so, Father, may we, Lord, take um, this opportunity, O oh God, just to bask in your presence. And even, Lord, as we meditate your word, O oh Lord God, fill our minds and hearts, O oh God, with your word. We pray, Lord, that may you open our hearts and minds, Lord, that we may be receptive, O oh Lord, for what you have in store for us this morning. We pray, O oh God, that enlighten our hearts, O oh Spirit, for apart from your anointing, O oh God, we won't appreciate your word for us. And Lord, we pray this, that after this, O oh God, we will just be excited to, to apply, O oh God, whatever it is that you are teaching us today. We pray, Lord, that it will also steer our hearts towards you. It will increase our passion, our devotion. It will increase, O oh God, our fervor, O oh Lord, to you. And so, Father, we commit to you this time, O oh Lord God. We thank you. And whatever will be achieved, to you be the glory, honor, and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you recall the time when Cebu and Bohol had a strong earthquake? Who remember that? I know you cannot forget that event, right? I mean, all of us got scared at the time. And I'm sure, you know, um, that was an event, not only it shook the buildings, but it shook the very heart and soul of the people at the time. If not all people, but many people at the time. And people suddenly after that became so spiritual. I even remember my neighbor, um, after that earthquake, he was always uh, listening to that music, Lord Patawad. And he was listening to that every day for the entire week. And so I remember people at the time were so religious, they, they prayed to the Lord, they, they even want to join Bible studies. And in fact, we were, at the time, we were able to start, because of that, we were able to start a ministry in Loon Bohol. Together with Second Wind Ministry and Youth Ministry, we went there. Um, and then we were able to minister to the people there, uh, help them financially, and at the same time, share the gospel to them. And as funny as it is, it even shook many Christians at the time. And I believe because of that event, we were able to share the gospel to countless people. <laughs> and we, we just praise the Lord, no? Because, um, because even uh, through that, uh, there were even churches that stood up out of that um, event. And we praise the Lord, no? even, even in that way. And two months ago, if you remember, there was a landslide that happened in Naga, which took several lives. And a week after that, a strong earthquake and tsunami devastated an island of Indonesia, which resulted to close to a thousand dead 
people. <coughs> now, we may not fully understand why God allowed calamities like this to happen. And it doesn't mean that God has no control over nature. And He is in control, but on the side of eternity, we won't entirely know why God allowed it. And we cannot be presumptuous about that. Maybe when we get to heaven, we will know. We can ask God, Lord, why is it that you allow that? And we cannot also blame God when calamities strike for humanity is responsible for tampering mother nature. And as a result, we experience calamities. We experience natural disasters. But you know what? One thing for sure is God can use calamities like typhoons, like um, earthquakes, landslides, to open a way, to open a door for the gospel to be preached to many people. And God can use calamities to wake people up towards eternal matters, to wake people up and remind them of the brevity of life, that life is short. And circumstances like this can be a means towards faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's why churches can take opportunity, can take advantage of it. But events like this, my brothers and sisters, won't stop happening. In fact, not until Jesus Christ returns, we can expect more and more like this to happen in the near future. And let me show you a statistic I got from the internet. And this statistic will show us the different calamities event that happen all over the world from different places and in courtesy of Munich. And so let me just show you. And um, all of this happened just in 2017 alone. And so there, um, it represented uh, by different dots. Like the red dots, it represents the geophysical events. The green dots represent the mete uh, meteorological events. And the blue dot represents the hydrological events, and the yellow dot represents the climatological events. And you see that all over the world. And even there, you see Philippines there. You cannot see it clearly because it's filled with green dots. But it only tells us that even just by 2017, there's so many calamities, so there's so many events that happened. And why is it I'm telling this? Because we are told in Scripture that more will come. And even you can check this out right now. And um, this, this website is now um, showing the 2018 uh, events that were happening uh, in the past few months. And they now give you the, the statistics of that. And how do we know more will come in the near future? Now, let, let us read Luke chapter 21, verses 25 to 26. And it says here, And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Now, also in Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 to 8, Jesus talking to his disciples, and this is what Jesus said to them, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, 
and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains which, with more to come. And so here we're told that more events or calamities will take place before the return of Jesus Christ. And we can expect a lot of this to happen in the near future. But you know what? There's more. There's more. Because, in, because Matthew 24 talks about what will happen in the last days. And we read there the, the phrase, first of the birth pains or birth pangs. And we know what that means. We know that it, when we talk about birth pains, it's the spasms of pain that a mother would experience during labor, right? And it indicates a birth is coming soon. And as one gets closer to the actual delivery of the birth, or the baby, I mean, the pain increases until the big event, and which is the birth of the baby. Now, this is a metaphor the phrase or the birth pain, birth pangs, is a metaphor used to describe what is going to happen in the last days, what will going to happen in the future. And the events today is just like, the calamities today are just like an introduction of what is more to come. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you that the future will get crazier. And it will be scarier, very frightening. It will be a horrifying future for the people of this world. And right now, we will look at one of the events which will take place as we dig into the passage that we are going to study. So take your Bibles and open with me to Revelation chapter 9. And let's read this. Revelation chapter 9, verses 13 to 21. So Revelation chapter 9, uh, starting verse 13, Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mountain, mounted troops was... Twice 10,000 times 10,000. And if we calculate that, it means 200 million. And I heard their number. And this is how I saw the, the horses in my vision. And those who rode them, they wore breastplates, that, the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed, and by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths, for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk. 
nor they did nor did they repent of their murders of their or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts here what we read here will take place in the future and all of this will happen specifically within the tribulation period i think you have heard of the term before tribulation period pastor mel you know um, explained that to us couple of times and if you attend IBI he also explained what tribulation is what tribulation period is but for us for you who do not know what this tribulation period is the tribulation is a future seven-year period of time when God will finish his discipline with Israel and finalize his judgment of the unbelieving world and during this tribulation, God will enact divine judgment against those who reject Him. And He will avenge those who were persecuted, those who suffered and died because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And during this time, God will judge the evil of this world and punish all the unrepentant sinners. And this will be a time when God says, it's enough. It's enough. And this is also the prelude of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And how about us as the church? The church who are made up of all who trusted in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ will not be present. This is good news for you and me. We, are, we won't be present during this time. And why? Because the church, as we are told in Scripture, the church will be raptured. And what is the rapture? The rapture um, is, is of the church is the event in which God snatches away all believers, all who trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior in order to make way for His righteous judgment to be poured out on earth during the tribulation period. So what we know, what we understand is that after the rapture, tribulation will take place. It, tribulation will commence. And as we go along this passage this morning, there are several questions we, which need to be considered. Is God's judgment final? Is God's judgment in the future final? Will, will there be an opportunity for the people to repent and turn to Jesus Christ in the future? Is God's judgment a way to turn people from their sins? Or is it God's retribution? Is it God's retribution of people's sin and rebellion? Is it something final? And what do you think? Many Bible scholars believe that in the first few years of the tribulation period, there will be a preaching of repentance. By the, four, by, by the 144,000 Jews, selected Jews, and multi, multitudes will repent and turn to Christ and this is based on Revelation chapter 7 and chapter 20. And, and, and the people who will be saved during the tribulation period, they will be called as the tribulation saints. But that will be the only time. And so I hope that at the end of this message, may, may it be clear to us the answer to these questions. Now I believe the reason why Apostle John wrote this letter, Revelations, is to comfort and encourage believers all over the world is to comfort and encourage the believers in the midst of suffering and persecution. 
and to challenge the churches to live godly way because or in view of the return of Christ and the judgment of evil. If you were here last week, last Sunday, I shared about the future of the believers, right? Our future. But right now, I'll be sharing to you the future of the unbelievers. Now, here in verse 13 of Revelations 9, the passage that we read mentions the sixth angel who blew the sixth trumpet of the seven trumpets. So there are seven trumpets, and, and the seven trumpets are the contents of the seventh, seventh seal, and as described in Revelation chapter 8. And the judgments heralded by the seven trumpets will all take place during the tribulation period in the end times. And let me tell you that the judgment will get increasingly worse and devastating as the end time progress. And let me just share to you a summary of the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. All talks about the judgment of God in the, in the last days. So let's first start with the summary of the seven seals. The first seal talks about the Antichrist, or the Antichrist is let loose upon the world. And the second seal, wars begin and peace is lost. The third seal, famine breaks out, Fourth seal, the ultimate result of war and famine, which is death. And fifth seal, persecution of God's people, which brings more of God's vengeance on the world, but not until their evil has been filled up with the last martyr's death. And the sixth seal, a great earthquake, earthquake along with other celestial upheavals. And the last seal introduces the seven trumpet judgment. And so let's go to the summary of the seven trumpets. And so, based on Revelation 8, we find there that the first trumpet talks about one-third of earth, trees, and grass is burned up. The second seal, or rather the second trumpet, one-third of the sea creatures die and ships are destroyed. The third trumpet, one-third of the waters polluted and many die. Fourth trumpet, one-third of the sun, moon, and stars are darkened. The fifth trumpet, demonic locusts are released to torment people. The sixth trumpet, four bound demons are released to kill one-third of humankind with an army. And then the seventh trumpet calls forth seven angels who carry the seven bowls of God's wrath. And so we go to the climax of this, which is the seven bowls. And so let's read the summary of the seven bowls. Next slide, please. Now, the seven bowls. So the first bowl, horrible source on those with the mark of the beast. The second bowl, everything in the sea dies. The third bowl, all the waters are polluted. And the fourth bowl, the sun burns and scorches people. Fifth bowl brings complete darkness over Antichrist's kingdom. The sixth bowl, the Euphrates dries up, the kings of the east come, and the scene is set for the battle of Armageddon. And then the seventh bowl produces a great earthquake, cities of nations fall, a huge hailstorm occurs. And so again, all of this, the seven trumpets, including the seven seals and the seven bowls we find in this letter are judgments poured out on the unbelieving world in the end times. And all serve to judge the Antichrist kingdom of wickedness and all represents the final judgment of God. So these are a series of judgments. 
And what can we learn from this sixth trumpet? How does the sixth trumpet unfold? And so let me just give you uh, the, the summary or the, or the bird's eye view of the entirety of the chapter. In, in verses 13 to 15, we see here the, the appointed agents of the judgment. And in verses 16 to 19, we see here the detailed manner of the judgment. And then in verses 20 to 21, the unrepentant witness of the judgment. And so let's first go and, and talk about the appointed agents of this judgment. Now at the outset, at the beginning of this, of this passage, we find here the sixth angel who blew his, sixth, the, his trumpet. And when he blew his trumpet, Apostle John heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. By the way, the sixth, the sixth trumpet is the second woe of the three woes as what pronounced in chapter, chapter 8 of verse 3 of Revelation. Now, in the Old Testament, there were two altars in the ancient tabernacle. You see there a picture of the um, ancient tabernacle. And um, one, one, one altar stood outside the courtyard there, you know, the, 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 the big, uh, the big uh, altar of sacrifice there. This is the first sacrifice. It's called the altar of sacrifice. And then the second one stood within the Holy of Holies. And directly in front of the veil which covered the holy, uh, rather, which covered this holy of holies. And that's the altar there is where incense was burned. And here in, in the Revelation chapter 9, there's another golden altar which is in heaven in front of the throne of God. Now, the altar mentioned here is, is, is at the presence of God in heaven. That's why it, it says here it's before God. This throne or this altar is before God. Now, this is probably the same altar mentioned in Revelations 8.3, the place or the altar where the prayers of the saints have been expressed to God. And according to Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, this altar was where the souls of all who had died, all who have been martyred, were waiting for God to punish and to, to execute God's enemies or the people's or God's people's enemies. And they were crying, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Now, their prayers, the prayers of this martyred, um, called for vengeance. And God was releasing it in these woes. And during the Old Testament times, this altar was a place of mercy and grace. But at this point, there is a command for judgment from this altar. The voice mentioned here is not a symphony of the voices of those who died. And not an angel's voice, but clearly is a voice of authority giving a command. And this voice is no other than the voice of God. And this order comes from God. W.A. Criswell commented that in, in the golden censer, fire was taken from the altar of sacrifice and carried it to the golden altar, where incense was burned unto God. Blood was taken from the altar of sacrifice on the day of atonement and sprinkled on the four golden horns of the altar of prayer. Now, all of this ritual was to teach that prayer and worship are based upon sacrifice. The shedding of blood without which there is no remission of sins and without which no man can come into the presence of God. 
Now it is from the four horns that the awful cry comes to loose those four terrible angels bound over the river Euphrates. What an amazing thing. Heretofore, the blood of the sacrifice and the prayers of the intercession have always been for mercy that God would forgive us, that God would save us. But now, the blood that Christ and the voice that is raised is no longer for forgiveness, for salvation, no longer for God's mercy, but the voice is for judgment and damnation. My brothers and sisters, the purpose of this specific judgment is to vindicate God's righteousness and to avenge God's servants. And at the conclusion of all the judgments of God, there's going to be a loud shout in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are His judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of His servants. And so what we see here is then, is, is that the altar of mercy becomes the altar of judgment. Now the sixth angel who blew the sixth trumpet is tasked with the release of the four bound angels. And what do we know about these four bound angels? Well, they are bound at the great Euphrates River. It's found in Middle East today. And although they are unseen right now, you cannot see these four bound angels, but they are there. And they had been prepared specifically for this hour and day and month and year. And, and they will be turned and they will be loose and they're turned loose to kill one third of all the people on earth. And they will lead an army of 200 million mounted troops, as what we read here in verse 16. Now, these four angels have evidently been reserved in bondage for God's special purpose. And what is that? The destruction of one third of humankind. Just imagine how big is that. And the number four speaks of the worldwide effect of their destruction. And I believe that these four bound angels are fallen angels. These are fallen angels. These are, angel, these are not holy angels. Why? Because never in Scripture does it say that holy angels are bound. And why would they need to be bound if they are holy? The only reason you... You would bind someone would be to prevent them from doing what you don't want them to do, right? And the fact that they are bound should make it clear to anyone that they are demonic, fallen angels who needed to be restrained. And they are prepared to be used by God, reserved for judgment day. And God is prepared. God is preparing for the time. In other words, this angels are God's appointed agents for destruction. They are His appointed agents of this, for destruction. And this is going to happen in an appointed hour of an appointed day, of an appointed week, of an appointed month, of an appointed year, only known to God Himself today. And now I'd like to point out something here in reflection to the specificity of the event Nothing happens in history without God or ordering it, without God allowing it to take place. This talks about the sovereignty of God restraining even the most 
evil in this world. Now, we may debate who is the most or who is the vilest person in history, but whoever it is, they are nothing in, compare, in comparison to these four angels. And God is keeping them at bay today. Now, in history, I believe God has always been there intervening the affairs of the people. And God may choose to intervene, and God may not choose to intervene. But again, it doesn't mean that God is not doing anything. And I believe that somewhere and somehow, God has been preventing a lot of the events in the past that might lead to more death and more suffering. And some people today say that God does not exist because if God exists, why is it, why is it that there's evil in this world? Some people argue that. The skeptics will, will, will ask you that question. Why is it there's evil in this world if, if God exists? But the reason why there's evil in this world is because of sin. That's the reason. And if God did not prevent or if God did not intervene, we would all be dead by now. And we all know that the wages of sin is death. And do you know what is God's greatest inter intervention in history? God's greatest intervention in history is the cross. And because God knows that we all deserve to die the moment we committed sin. But God intervened. He chose to extend mercy and grace. And that's why Romans 5, 8 tells us, and this is how God demonstrated His love towards us. While we were still sinners, while we were running away from God, while we were rebelling against God, while we did not care about God, about His Word, about His will, while we did not care about Jesus Christ, Christ chose to die for the ungodly. And as far as God is concerned, Nothing is random, nothing go out of hand. And in the book of Revelation, we see God who is in control and in charge of everything. That's what the book of Revelation tells us, that God is in control and in charge of everything. And God will fulfill His purposes. God will fulfill His promises. And so here, we, we see the appointed ages of God uh, for judgment, but we are also given here the detailed manner of the judgment. Now, along with these four angels are 200 million mounted troops or horsemen. Some argue that this is the description of the Red Chinese Army. Because in 1970, the Chinese bragged that they have 200 million soldiers. And so some people think that these 200 million troops might be referring to the Chinese Red Army today. But no, these 200 million horsemen cannot be the Chinese Red Army. And I believe that this horde of horsemen, this army of horsemen is not human, but something demonic. These are demons. And for several good reasons. First, they are led by four fallen demonic powerful angels. Second, the vast, the vast number of the army is of angelic origin. If you remember when, when Satan, or rather when Lucifer rebelled against God, and one-third of the angels went with him. And there are countless numbers of angels of which one-third fell at the time. 
and presuming they're human, let's just say these 200 million troops are, let's just say these are human, but according to General William K. Harrison, an expert in military logistics, an army of 200 million could not be conscript conscripted, supported, and moved to the Middle East without totally disrupting all societal needs and capabilities. As General Harrison brings out on this aspect of revelation, God has made men with certain limitations and the actual raising and transporting of an army of this size, spoken in verse 16, completely transcends human capability. And even all the Allied and Axis forces at the peak in World War II were only about 70 million. And thus, it seems better to understand that the vast numbers and description of the horses as indicating demonic and we are also told in the text that those who rode these horses wore breastplates that color of fire, of sapphire, and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of the lions. Now it is unclear whether John means that the head of each horse resembled the actual appearance of the lion, or is it merely that they, they shared the ferocious characteristics of a lion? We, we don't exactly know. And out of the horse's mouth came fire, smoke, and, and so forth, and their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. Now, some people think that these are rocket launchers and tanks. But again, we cannot be exactly sure. Now, we, we don't know if, if people will die because of smoke or sulfur inhalation or suffocation and died because of flames. And we don't exactly know, but one thing for sure is that because of this, one-third of humanity will die. Just imagine that. Can you just imagine the number of people who will be killed? Brothers and sisters, this will be a terrible slaughter. And it will appear as if hell is over the world. Now, one Bible commentator said that after this first sixth seal and after the sixth trumpet judgment, the population of the earth has been reduced by more than half. And let's just try to create a scenario this time. And let's just imagine that, or rather, you know, if, if the world's population today is around 7.6 billion, and this is um, the, the number of people today, more or beyond that a bit, and let's just say this happens tomorrow. I'm not saying this will really happen tomorrow, but let's just, let's just try to create a scenario here. And this is just a conjecture, okay? We, ha we have right now there's 7.6 billion, and then let's just say this will happen tomorrow. And let's just say that because rapture will happen before, before this, and let's just say that 0 .6, the 0.6 billion are the genuine believers of the Lord, okay? So they will be raptured. So, what, so the number left is, is 7 billion. And in fact, we're told also that before, prior, even prior to the sixth trumpet, many people died already at this time. And so it's not even exact 7 million, so let's just say 6 billion. And so let's just say 6 billion. And what is one-third of 6 billion? What is one-third of 6 billion? Two, right? Two billion. And just imagine that number. Two billion of people will die when these four angels will be released. 
Two billion people will die at the time. Just imagine that number of people. And how would you dispose all the bodies? And probably the stench of the, de 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 uh, the decaying corpses you know, will saturate the world and it will take an enormous effort for the part of those who are alive to bury them and even burn them up. And it's, that's why it's the worst period of time to live in. My brothers and sisters, this will be the worst period of time to live in. Human destruction that even World War II cannot compare. And Prophet Jeremiah mentioned about this in Jeremiah 37. He said, alas, for the day is great. There's none like it. This is what he said. And it is the time of Jacob's distress, or in some translations, Jacob's trouble, but he will be saved from it. Now, Jacob's distress is a reference to the great tribulation. And it says us here, for in that day, during the tribulation period, there's none like it. What it tells us that the kind of experience that people in history experience is something that that cannot be compared to this moment or rather the kind of experience that people will experience during this time during the tribulation is not something that people in history have experienced yet and so this will be a terrible day and this is how serious god is in avenging the people of God. This is, how God. this is how serious God is in dealing the sin and evil of this world. And we ask this question, is it possible for us to experience this time? Is it possible for us to witness this? How about you? If, if, do you want to witness this? Do you want to be part of this experience? We don't want to be part of this, right? And, 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 but the question is, is the church present during this time? And we know the church won't be present during this time, right? Because the church will be raptured. And Jesus will take away the church. He will take away his people. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 tells us that and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. And that's why, thank God, thank God, because for us, believers of the Lord, we will be spared from it. Right? Can we give the Lord a, a big offering, a clap of offering for that? I mean, you and I don't want to be part of that. You, don't, you and I won't, won't like to see that from happening. But whether we like it or not, it's the future. And now, not only that we are told about the detailed manner of this, of this judgment, but let's also see the unrepentant witness of the judgment. Now, if one-third of the population at the time died because of the plagues, then what follows is that two-thirds remain, right? Two-thirds. Now, what do you think were the response of the people who were alive, who were left, these two-thirds. Were they like, Lord, thank you for, for sparing me. Lord, were, were they like, Lord, praise you for, for, Lord, you did not, you know, Lord, you spared me from that wrath, oh God, you spared me from that. Was that their response? 
Was that the response that we see and read here in the verse? Well, we are told that in verse 20, it tells us that these people refused to turn from their evil deeds. They were unrepentant. And even after this catastrophic event, people choose to be unrepentant. Now, the people at this time are so committed and devoted to whatever they were believing and doing that were not right. And God could have struck everyone dead. God could have killed all the people. God could just have killed the two-thirds as well. But God did not do that. Yet He allowed only one-third of people to die and the two-thirds remain. And why is it? Why do you think that God... Look at here, it's very specific. One-third only. And why do you think that God allowed the two-thirds to survive? Well, here we see that God is still giving the people who were alive at the time the space and opportunity to repent and turn to Him. But instead, they remain unrepentant and idolatrous. Now, the very reason that, that only one-third of the population were killed was for the rest of the mankind to turn to God. Now, God is giving the people a chance to repent. And if you are part of these two-thirds, let me ask you this question. Will you repent? Do you think you will repent? Yes or no? You will repent. But let me ask you this question. Why were, why were they not repentant? Why were they not repentant? Is it because there's a lack of knowledge? Is it because there's a lack of information? Is it because there's a lack of awareness? Now, most frequently, today, people give an excuse that if only they had more definite information, then they would repent and believe. And if there's enough evidence for them to see that God exists, then they would repent and believe. But our experience tells us today that the needed information is more than just a smokescreen. This is just an excuse for a rebellious and unrepentant heart which has really no intention of submitting to God. And this is the truth. For we have spent many an hour in discussions with such as these people providing information and answering objections only to find that having answered one objection, a new one quickly arises in its place. It's just like the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You remember that story? Jesus told its story, right? The rich man and Lazarus. The rich man went to hell and, and, La and, and Lazarus went to heaven in that story. And he asked, and, Lazarus, and rather the rich man asked that someone from the dead be sent back with more evidence to, the, to his brothers so that they would accept the horrible truth of the judgment ahead. But Abraham said to this, to this rich man that he said that if they do not believe the scriptures, neither they will believe if someone will be sent to them straight from heaven. If they do not believe the scriptures, neither they will believe if someone will be sent to them. And even, and even today, we continue to see this unrepentant attitude 
of the people. Nothing has changed. Even when there's enough or sufficient word of God to prove God's existence, people still choose to live a life opposing to God, denying the existence of God, and live as if God does not exist. And no amount of evidence could make a person repent because the problem is not the lack of evidence. The problem is the heart of the person. The problem, my brothers and sisters, is unbelief. That's the problem. The problem is people deliberately choose not to believe. They want to be independent from God. And speaking of evidence, since enough has been given, yet people choose not to believe. And that's why judgment will come upon them. And today, we may know someone who has been exposed to God's word. We may, we may know someone who has been exposed to the gospel. It could be a member in the family. It could be your friend. It could be a neighbor. It could be you know, a classmate, a, a, a person from work. But let me tell you this. We can only pray that God will open their hearts. And maybe you are trying to share the gospel right now to somebody. And for a long time already, you have been sharing the gospel to this person, and this person seems not responsive still. And don't stop praying, but keep on praying for his heart to be changed, for God to give the person a heart of flesh, a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And this is also a reminder for us, brothers and sisters, that if God did not give us a new heart, if God did not give us a new spirit, if God did not touch and open our hearts, we would not respond to Him today. We would scorn God. We would run away from Him and even won't bother at all. We will, and we would still be subjected, rather subjective to the wrath of God today if God did not touch our hearts. If God did not open our spiritual eyes, we would be like these two-thirds of people. We would like be these two-thirds who remain alive but yet unrepentant. In fact, we are no different with these people. We are very much alike with all the people of this world today. And if God did not conquer our belief, and we will stay unrepentant today. And that's the truth, my brothers and sisters. That's the truth. If God did not say to our hearts, let there be light, and there was light, then today we will still be in our sins. And there was this famous preacher in the U.S. who preached, uh, if there's one thing Jesus can't do, this is what he said. It was recorded. If there's one thing Jesus can't do, he said to the congregation, Jesus cannot overcome your unbelief. And when he explained this, or rather he explained that the power of Jesus was limited to the unbelief of people. But as we think of this, you and I know that this is plainly wrong. The reason why 
we are here today, the reason why we are able to respond to the call of the gospel, why we are able to respond in faith and repentance, and it is because Jesus conquered our unbelief. Amen? And Jesus is God. And Jesus not only is capable of conquering our unbelief, but He is the only one capable of conquering our unbelief. And this is the reason why we are here today. This is the reason why we are able to worship Jesus Christ. Because there was a day when God touched our hearts. When we, when we were listening the gospel, when we were listening the preaching of the gospel or heard it probably over the radio or someone shared it to us and then we responded in faith and repentance because god opened our hearts and that's why we thank god for his grace his love and mercy we thank him for opening the eyes of our hearts but how do you know if your spiritual eyes have been opened how do you know if if your spiritual eyes have been opened well, for one, obviously, you have received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, right? And that you are a changed person. Your, your life is being changed. You, you experience transformation. And you have this desire for God. You have this desire for His Word. You have this desire to share the gospel to others because you believe that it's true. And that you love the scriptures, you love reading it, you love to join fellowship, you love to worship God. And that you are grateful, you're a person full of praise. And that you are walking in accordance to His will. And that you display the fruit of the Spirit. And these are just some of the evidences of our salvation. Let me tell you this, that not because you know the gospel right, not because you know doctrine, doesn't mean that your eyes have been opened. Especially when you know that, that when you look at your life before and today, if nothing has changed, then you better start questioning the, 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 the authenticity of your salvation. If, it's, if, if you're really saved or not. If, you, if your eyes have been opened or not. And so, even this catastrophic intervention, men will continue to reject God because they desire independence from Him. One Bible scholar, Walter Elwell, said or notes that those who were not killed in the first six plagues learned nothing from their experience. Just as in the case of Pharaoh, who continued to harden his heart as God sent the plagues upon Egypt, so here mankind refuses to acknowledge God as God. And so if these people... You know what, today, if, the people today, if these people today suffer God's judgment, we cannot, they cannot blame God. And we cannot blame God's sovereignty. But what we can blame is the heart of the person. What we can blame is the sinful heart of the person. And because people's hearts continue to resist God, what they do, how they live, their activities, their behaviors did not glorify God. And at the end of the vision, Apostle John identifies five sins that are representative of their defiance. Five sins. First, idolatry. They choose to worship idols, then God. 
They, men and women, love their idols. We are told that not only did they did not repent of their works, but continued to worship demons, idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, wood idols that neither see nor hear nor walk. The works of their hands here includes the, the very gods they make and bow down to. And people are so resolutely committed to their gods that in spite of the inability of their gods to, to do anything, they stick to it. Just imagine the foolishness of these people. Pagan belief leads to pagan worship. And the verse tells us that only a dead heart would worship a dead idol. Only a blind, deaf heart would worship a blind and dead idol. As what one Bible commentator said, stone hearts, stone idols. And not just idolatry, but murders. Today, people have been killing today, right? I mean, so, we see so many killings today. But people during this time will continue to seek bloodshed. Violent crime will be out of control. Law and order will be long gone. And that's why you don't want to be part of, 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 of this time. You don't want to live during this time. Because it will not just, because it will be a terrible day. And, and, and not just murders, but we're also told here sorceries. And the word sorcery here is interesting. Why? It's the word, the, the root word here is pharmakia, from which we get our word pharmacy. It means drugs, drugging. Now, drugs will be prolific at this time. During this time, drugs will be prolific. And why? Because drugs will be used to induce magical thinking. Drugs will be used to induce their religious experience. And drugs will be used to, to induce their satanic worship. And today, drugs are used in association with sorcery because they place the practitioner into an altered state of consciousness whereby he or she becomes more open to contact with the demonic realm. We have a pastor in Living Word who used to be a drug addict. And I used to go with him you know, every time we conduct a, a drug campaign in the schools and everywhere. And uh, his experience, he said that there was a time when he was so deep in drugs, there was a time when he was e even able to hear voices. And when I read this, I, I realized it's, it's not because of hallucination, but, but I believe these are demons talking to you. And not just sorcery but sexual immorality sexual dissipation and perversion will continue and will be rampant and the last is thefts it will only it tells us that corruption and stealing will be rampant during this time so brothers and sisters man at this point is beyond reachable man at this point is beyond help and why? Because they continue to offend God. There's no fear of God in their hearts. And people love themselves more than they love God. And this is why they reject God's offer of salvation. Now, we might think that God's judgment is unfair. We might think that God's judgment is harsh. But let me tell you that in this chapter, we see God's judgment over the unrepentant, wicked idolaters. 
And in spite of God's judgment, they still refuse to bow down to the true God in the face of clear knowledge. They still refuse to repent. And it only proves the deadness of the heart. It only proves the depravity of man. And I believe the increased severity of God's judgment is proportioned to the height of people's rejection of true worship to God and no repentance from sin. My brothers and sisters, God's wrath, His judgment to people is not arbitrary. His, his judgment is not something random, nor capricious, nor cruel, but God's judgment is a just response to sin. And as God's wrath or His judgment is not something inflicted to the ignorant or innocent. Because as far as this verse tells us, people are not innocent. And they deliberately reject the truth and the clear evidences. And that's why they have no one to blame but themselves. And in Revelation chapter 16, verses 5 to 7, declares of God, You are just in this judgments. You are you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged, for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fierce judgment of God is deserving. God's judgment is just as He is just. And the judgment is a reflection of just the kind of heart the people has. And people are subjected to evil, therefore deserve the due punishment. If the, if the hearts of the people are fixed, the judgment of God is fixed as well. And that's why, apart from God's grace, apart from His divine help, apart from, apart from God's intervention, we are all hopeless and helpless. And this only proves that people are bound for destruction, bound to the wrath of God. In conclusion, if we want to live a life independent of God, if we want to live a life independent of the Lord, a time will come when we will regret it. Because God will say to each person today, enough, enough. And also, we see a lot of things happening in our country today. While we grieve over or while we grieve for people whose lives are lost because of calamities or any unfortunate events, let's also remember that the events today are nothing in compared to what is coming. It's nothing in comparison to what will be revealed in the future. And that's why, brothers and sisters, let's labor hard in preaching the gospel today to people. And that's why we cannot be passive. And that's why, while we still have the opportunity, let's share Jesus Christ before it becomes too late for people. And God's judgment to the world is final. It cannot be overturned. His judgment is, is something that God has ordained, He's decreed by God. And whether people expect it or not, it will surely come. And that's why also, brothers and sisters, in Romans 12, 19, we are told, never take your own revenge. 
Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And maybe right now you, you want to revenge somebody. Maybe you hated somebody right now and you want to take a revenge. But let me tell you, whatever your revenge you want to do with this person, if this person will reject Jesus Christ, whatever revenge that you will do to this person is nothing compared to what God will be doing to each person in the future. And that's why we're also told in Scripture to turn to Christ while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And it has been said, as it has been said today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. The voice we hear now will still be a voice of mercy. But tomorrow, it will be a voice of judgment. But brothers and sisters, what will turn people to Christ is not really the preaching of judgment, but the preaching of the gospel. What will turn people to Christ it's not telling people about the wrath of God or the reality of hell. Yes, we should tell people about that. We should begin by that. It's part of the message. But the end of our preaching is not hell, but the, preach, the end of our preaching is Jesus Christ. What draws people to Him is, is, is Jesus. What draws people is the grace of God, is the mercies of God, and it's the, you know, it's, it's the love of God that draws people to Him. As the letter of Revelation ended, not with judgment, but with Jesus Christ reigning as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords. Jesus reigning as the victorious King. And we can only pray that the people today will respond to this King because there is a cry of judgment coming. Amen? Let's bow and... Let's just bow our heads this time and just, um, just close our eyes. Now, before I pray, before I close in prayer, now I just want to take this opportunity to, to, to address, um, if, if not all, but some people here this morning. If you're somebody right now unsure of his or her salvation and might be wondering if you will be spared from, from this judgment, from this punishment. And if you see yourself as that person, let me just tell you that Jesus loves you. And that's why he died on the cross for your sins so that you can walk with him and so that you can be spared from the coming wrath and not spend eternity in hell, but spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. And He is willing to forgive you of all your sins 
your past, present, and future sins if you believe in Jesus and what He has done for you on the cross. And if you're willing to recognize Him, if you're willing to surrender your life to Him and recognize Him as your personal Savior and Lord. Now, you might ask this question, how about my good works? Won't it count? Let me tell you this, that the only work that the Heavenly Father accepts is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because only Jesus is perfect. Only what Jesus did is acceptable to God because only Jesus lived a perfect life that God demands. And that's why what Jesus did is that he bore your sins on his body and paid the price of sin. And if you are willing to accept the offer of salvation, he will impute, he will credit his righteousness to you. And that's why when the Father, when God the Father looks at you, he sees not the records of your sins, but what he sees is the righteousness of his Son, Jesus Christ, in you. And so if you are not yet sure if you have this free gift of salvation right now, and if you want to have this eternal relationship with God because God calls you to have a relationship with Him, a father and son or daughter kind of a relationship. And if this is what you want, the Bible says, repent for He is holy. Turn from your sinful lifestyle. Turn away from from a self-driven life and turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. Run to Him. Surrender your life to Him. Embrace Him as your Lord and Savior. And so if you decide to do this right now, if, you, if this is your heart's desire, and simply just express it to the Lord. Make an honest confession to Him. Just make an honest confession confession to the Lord and and if you don't know how to how to do that if you don't know how to express that I can guide you I can guide you in just expressing and making that honest confession to God this time and just for me to know if anyone here wants to make that honest confession can you just raise your right hand this time can you just raise your right hand yes I see that hand yes I see your hand sister anymore yes I see that hand there on the right side anymore yes I see the hands at the back I see those hands now you can now put down your that hand and and as I pray just pray this from your heart as well God I know that I am a sinner I know that I deserve the consequences of my sin However, Lord, I am trusting that Jesus Christ is my Savior and, sub and I submit my whole life to Him. I trust that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ provided a way for my forgiveness. And now, O oh Lord, I believe in Jesus Christ. I trust in Jesus and in You alone, O oh Lord, as my personal Savior and Master. And from here now on, Lord, my life is yours. 
And thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving me and for forgiving all my sins. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, if you meant that confession, then brother and sister, live that out. Now, you can be sure that you can live it out because the Holy Spirit will empower you. The Holy Spirit will, will equip you. And how will you know if that's genuine? How will you know if you have a genuine salvation? Because in these coming weeks, months, and years, you will notice change. You will notice a difference. And you begin to live a different kind of life. And for the rest of us here this morning, for us who believe we are already in the Lord and sure of our salvation, and let me just challenge you this morning, we need to be faithful to God. We need to be zealous in, in, in preaching the gospel. We need to be faithful in serving the Lord and refresh your love for Him. Refresh your worship of God, reminding yourself of His deep love, of His goodness, of His kindness, of His grace upon you. And loving you, loving you. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for this time wherein we can just, Lord, be reminded, oh God, of first of all, Lord, the, the goodness, the grace, the love and mercy, oh God, that we receive from you. Yes, indeed, oh Lord, nothing goes out from your hand, oh Lord. And people will face your judgment. As it is said in your word, man is destined to die once. And after that, face judgment. There's no running away from you, O oh God. But Lord, we thank you that for us here, O oh Lord, you have extended mercy upon us, O oh Lord, and that you have opened our eyes, you have opened, Lord, our hearts, and that we are able, Lord, to receive the gift of eternal life. We are able, Lord, to receive, O oh God, salvation. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the gift of faith. Thank you, Lord, for helping us turn to Jesus Christ, O oh God. And now, Lord, we have this blessed hope that we will be with you, O oh God, for eternity. And how great it is, O oh Lord, to have that assurance and to have that kind of destiny. And so, Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for reminding us as well, Lord God, that we have this accountability also, Lord, to the people around us. And as we run the race, O oh Lord, may we not run it alone, but may we also grab people. May we also share to them the love of Christ that they may also accept you, that they may also see you as who you are. And so, Lord, we pray, help us to be faithful. Help us to be zealous, Lord, for your glory. And so, Father, we commit to you all this, Lord. We even thank you, Lord, for providing for our needs as well, Lord God. Thank you for not just providing us eternal life, but you have provided, Lord, even the needs that we have day by day. And so, Lord, even for what we have received, Lord, we offer it back to you, the tithes, the, the gift of the, 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 the offerings, the grace gifts, oh God, we want to uh, thank you for this and may you use this, Lord, for, for your glory. 
And Father, whatever has been achieved this morning, Lord, to you be the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.